It has often been said that that is the worst piece of recorded music in history. It makes dogs cry, causes women to weep, and makes children jump back into their beds. Because it celebrates your standard junior college and a state so enviable, everyone leaves it. I am Mac Engel. This is The Engel Angle. And we are more than 10 episodes into the history of this podcast, and we have yet to be banned by Spotify. I am not happy about that. Neither am I happy about that song that I played to lead this podcast, Boomer Sooner. I should have picked this. Or maybe I should have picked this. Okay, now the first one is from the University of Oklahoma, the second from the University of Michigan, the third from the University of Tennessee. I did not go to any of those schools, but I went with the fight songs because they are all associated with universities that are a part of the big bank consolidation that continues on in college sports, specifically college football. Now, in case you missed it, in the last two summers, Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12 for the SEC, and now UCLA and UC, uh, USC are going to leave the Pac-12 for the Big 10 in 2024. All of this conference jumping across all of these levels has left a lot of us as fans and consumers wondering who is where and when, and in a constant state of confusion as this money hoarding now runs college sports. To talk to me about this for this episode, I have requested the expertise of a man who cares deeply about college sports and college football. He's been around both in between 50 and 60 years. He is a native of Shreveport, Louisiana, and I think he's called pretty much damn near everything that is called sports. He's called NFL, NBA, NCAA tournament, college games forever for CBS, Fox Sports, and ESPN. He's talented. He's handsome. He's completely unafraid of his opinions, which is why I really like him. He is Mr. Tim Brando. I am very well, Mr. Brando. How are you? Good, good. It's nice to talk to you. Likewise. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk with me. Sure, I, uh, I'd be happy. Always happy to talk to you, man. Well, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I've never told you this, and I was thinking about this when I reached out to you. So I'm going to take you back in the Wayback Machine. We're going to go back to the 1995 Independence Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana, between yeah. Nick Saban's Michigan State Spartans <laughs> and Jerry DiNardo's LSU Tigers. Do you remember uh -huh. that? I sure do. Okay. So there was some kind of event a couple of days in Shreveport before the game. And you're emceeing it, I think, at a convention center. Does this sound right to you? Yeah, it was at the uh, Shreveport Convention Center. It was the Minuteman Luncheon. So I was there. Uh -huh. And I'm sitting in the crowd. I'm a year out of college. I'm volunteering at the game just to try to meet Ooh. people and get face time. And you walk up, and I'm like, oh, my God, that that's Tim Brando. 
Early, I, I was like, "Oh my, I can't believe that's Tim Brando." He's and you, you're at the you're at the head of the thing, and I'm like, in a, I'm at a table, I'm I'm, a, I'm a only by myself." So they were like, "Here, just sit every anywhere, just sit there." Yeah, right. So afterwards, right. Uh, you're mingling with the crowd, and you're like five feet from me, a five eight feet from me, and cool. because I'm so used to you seeing you on television, calling NCAA tournament and college football games and other games, I'm like, "Oh my god, I, I I'm gonna go up and introduce myself to Tim Brando." Mm-hmm. couldn't do it <laughs> I, I lost my nerve <laughs> i totally did i'm like yeah i'm not gonna do this so a hundred years later to have you on something called the podcast which i'm apparently one of five people to have that uh, is a great thrill and i do appreciate you spending the time well, i appreciate it, it thank you i'm happy to do it for you bud i don't know if anybody who loves had, by, by the way i wish you had to come up i that know way. you just you, but I'm sure you remember when you were younger and you were around people that you looked up to. And you're like, ah, I'm like, I can't do that. So <laughs> I couldn't do it. Yeah, uh, I, I know that feeling. Yeah. Yes. I think all of us have had it without a doubt. Tim, I don't know of anybody who loves college football kind of like you do. I know there have been others, you know, Dick Vitale, the basketball and college basketball, but you wear your passion and your love for college football on your sleeve and your head and your shoes and everything else. And when I follow you on social media, you have been, you've been pretty critical of the direction of college football. Yeah. I think I've, interestingly, when, when I'm not as, um, when I'm not as negative as everybody else about certain things, I think it surprises people, frankly, <laughs> because uh, I've, I've, I point out things uh, that I don't like long before it's cool to be negative. <laughs> so, so, uh, so much of what's happening now um, with, with uh, realignment and, uh, and with, um, uh, the transfer portal and, and, and NIL uh, is, is forcing uh, a lot of change that I thought should have happened long ago for, for reasons that were far more uh, understandable to, to force change than, than these. Uh, but I, and a lot of times I think fans um, uh, took it personally or they thought that I was just uh uh, Debbie Downer, uh, and and that wasn't the case. I I, I feel like I can be uh, critical in large measure because of that passion you were talking about. Because uh, I wear it on my shirt sleeve, and I have done this now for five decades. Without the 1984 Supreme Court ruling, I likely would have never been, uh, you know, a broadcaster at ESPN. Uh, there likely would have never been a college game day, which was the first pregame show ever made for specifically for college football. And there's a whole generation out there that doesn't realize that I was the original host of college game day <laughs> with Bino cook and Lee Corso. So, uh, I have lived it and have loved it and, and, and feel, um, a level of passion, uh, and, and goodwill towards it that few, I think could, you know, understand. And because of that, I feel like I can poke holes at what I see that's wrong. So then having lived it and having loved it, what do you see that is currently wrong? And just, just as a heads up for listeners, we, we are having this conversation after USC and UCLA announced it will join the Big Ten in 2024. Having settled that, what are the holes that you see that are 
realistically correctable? Contrary to what many might believe, I've actually gotten blowback on social media recently because I'm not upset about NIL or the transfer portal or USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. <laughs> and, and I think that you know blows a lot of people's minds because uh, so much of, again, what I've been talking about for years, uh, uh, universal leadership, the need for a czar or commissioner, if you will, for college football, uh, separating from the NCAA. Listen, the NCAA has been separated from college football monetarily since that 1984 uh, Supreme Court ruling in the Universities of Georgia, Oklahoma lawsuit. Mm -hmm. And most people in the media, even in, even in the media, Matt, don't know that right. or, or they fail to remember that. But that's what got us where we are. When I see a, an interview being done by someone, uh, whether it's in local media or national media, and it says uh, NCAA has lost its grip on college football, I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> it's from 1984, yeah, man. That happened in 1984. So people just don't, uh, they, they, for whatever reason, don't do their homework as it relates to the evolution of the game. Uh, and so, so much of what you're reading and hearing now about uh, the, the, the moves by UCLA and, and USC most recently about, oh, there's going to be a big two and everybody else is just going to be picking up the, the crumbs. That is such a joke. You don't buy that. No, it's not going to be the big two. It, it can be the big two monetarily. It, it already is. I mean, the SEC and the Big Ten make more money because they have schools with uh, great tradition, history, um, brand names. And in the case of the Big Ten, the largest media markets. Uh, in the country. And now by adding Los Angeles, they've gotten even stronger. So yeah, they're going to make more money. Uh, so if you want to call it big two financially, yeah, but that doesn't mean that suddenly uh, the big 12 is done or that what's left in the PAC 12 has no chance. No, there'll still be 60 plus teams playing at the uh, so-called power five, if you want to call it that, or autonomous five level. And still have a, a great opportunity. And, and because of this, because of this transformation uh, of, of power to the Big Ten most recently and by the SEC uh, a little over a year ago by Oklahoma and, uh, uh, and Texas, we're going to see an expansion to the college football playoff, which I've been obviously an advocate of. I've been uh, the, the self-proclaimed antichrist of college <laughs> football's postseason since I started at ESPN, okay? And I was that way at, at CBS. I get How did that work, Tim? Did anybody tell you, hey, shut up. You work for us, and we're carrying these games. You know, I <laughs> uh, Tony Petiti, one of my former bosses, and actually, I must say, uh, a very influential boss of mine. I didn't realize it until uh, I actually went to Fox, but Tony was an executive producer at CBS with me for about half the time I was there. I, I, I went to CBS in 1996, and I started calling some games at CBS then. I was also doing the SEC's early window game back then on the syndicator, Raycom, and Jefferson Pilot. But I started full-time uh, at CBS in 98, but I was, I was doing a good number of 
college football games in 96, and I did the NCAAs for them beginning in 96. But in 98, when the NFL came back uh, to CBS, uh, Jim Nance had to move away from the studio, and that's when I moved in uh, to host the college football today. And about, uh, gosh, it must have been six years after that, somewhere around 2004 or five. Uh, Tony Petiti became our executive producer. Well, Tony had been a longtime ABC sports guy, had worked under Rune Arledge and that crowd uh, in his earliest days. Uh, and Tony, with Roy Kramer, the former commissioner of the Southeastern Conference, authored what became the BCS. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and he did that before coming to CBS as actually a general manager of the local station, WCBS in New York. Well, I loathed the BCS. I mean, I <laughs> condemned it from the moment it, it was put into now, play. Why did you loathe it? Because the champions of it, hey, this guarantees one versus two, something college yeah, football yeah. had never had. So right. why, what, well, why were you a critic of it? I was a critic of it because I thought that they were billing it as a, you know, when, when they first put the BCS together, they included all of the bowl games. OK, yeah. they said, you know, the, 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 the bowls that were in alliance with them, uh, you know, the Orange Bowl, the uh, Rose Bowl, the 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 Sugar Bowl. They said, you know, and, and it was on ABC in the beginning. OK, uh, and he was working there when he put the thing together. It was on ABC and it's uh, the promos were even saying four games, one champion. And I'm like, what? <laughs> four games, one champion that, I mean, that's just, you know, you're telling people to watch all these games, like it's a playoff and yeah, you got all these balls, but the only game that matters is one versus two, you know, and, and who's deciding who's one and two, by the way. Okay. So it still comes down to, you know, some, some judgments it, to me, any championship that's based on uh, a judgment. Okay. is similar to an Olympic sport. You know, figure skating. When the European judge says, "You know what? We're just not going to give that uh, <laughs> that American a break here in this. Uh, she's she's not going to get a she's not going to get a nine eight in four X. I'm going to give her a nine two. You know, I just I just didn't like it. It was it was not so much that uh, you know getting the Big Ten and the Pac-12 involved. Or at that time, I think it was the Pac-8 and the Big Ten. That was a step. I'll give them that. That was a step, but. You know, it was clearly something that you were trying to trick people into believing was going to be uh, offering that was going to offer some sort of inclusionary practice, which was not the case. Uh, you know, the teams that had the biggest brand, the teams that more people knew a lot about, and and even how you go about picking the teams, which they used an arbitrary number of uh, computer polls to go along. <laughs> I mean, they had more. They had more computers than, than, uh, than, you know, countries had. IBM. Yeah, right. So I just, uh, I didn't like it at all. And um, so here comes Tony Petiti in as my boss at CBS. And, uh, and I thought, oh my gosh, he's, he's not going to be real happy with me. And I continued to say from time to time uh, negative things about the process. Um, you know, we were finding out all the issues that the computers have, that they, in fact, were run by fans. Some of these computers were run by fans of certain teams <laughs> and certain graphic locations. So right. I took exception to that. And um, 
at one point I got so caught up in the studio and this was about a week or two before the SEC championship, which we had on our air. And we would typically Spencer Tillman and I would typically go to the game and, and do it with Archie Manning and Tony Barnhart. So I actually said on the air, well, you can, you can rest assured the Neanderthals who govern the college football <laughs> BCS, the, the <laughs> Neanderthals that govern the BCS. I use that term. Well, that was a little strong even for me. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I, I did feel badly about it. And we had to go to the SEC um, championship and have a, uh, a dinner at Bones in Buckhead with the commissioner and his wife. And Roy Kramer's a lovely guy. And um, this was in the early 2000s. This might have been actually before Tony became the EP, but I think Terry Ewart might have been the executive producer then. But uh, Terry pointed out to me that I probably should make light of what I said. <laughs> and I said, Oh, that's not a problem. I I've, I've known Roy for a long time. And Roy's always been Roy Kramer used to always say, Hey, any publicity is good publicity. Brandon, if you don't like it, just keep shouting from the mountaintop. Did he mean care. it? I've heard a lot of guys say that, but they don't mean it. Did yeah. he really mean it? Yeah, he, he did mean it. Okay. He, he did mean it. He thought the more controversy there was, the more water cooler conversation yeah. there was. He was an old coach, you know, that's just the way Roy was. So, but, but his wife now, she took exception. <laughs> to oh, yeah. <laughs> and she was always, um, uh, she was always, um, I'm trying to remember her name now and I can't miss Anne, miss something. I can't remember her first name now, but she was a pistol. I mean, a real, I mean, a real pistol and, uh, and, and really thought a lot of me, and always said nice things, but she was mad at me that night. And I got up and I said, uh, uh, before we have the blessing, okay, I just want to, if you don't mind, Mr. Commissioner, uh, and I mentioned his wife's name. I said, I would, I would just like to, uh, I would just like to say I'm, I'm, I'm deeply, deeply, uh, uh, grateful for the opportunity to be covering this SEC title game and, uh, for my, uh, passion maybe overflowing a little too much a couple of weeks back, I genuflect and I went down and, and on my knees for, for, for <laughs> to apologize and for his forgiveness. And, and he laughed, everybody in the room laughed, but she was like, Brando, I'm not, I might need more than that. <laughs> so, uh, it was, it was funny, but, but interestingly, uh, Tony who helped author it when he came to CBS, we talked about it. And he had a similar love for college football that I did. He was a big uh, MLB college football guy. Uh, he later went to work as the associate um, uh, commissioner to Manfra. He was in charge of MLB network and all that when he left CBS. Anyway, uh, we talked a lot about how they put the thing together. And, and I said, yeah, I get that. It was a step and it was an evolution. You look back on it now and uh, in a lot of ways, the 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 way they went about uh finding the two teams even with all the computer issues they had is a hell of a lot better than what they're using now with the cfp because this oh, you is think just it was better you think it's now. this is this is clearly just a group of people in a room uh saying well i like that team they look better in their uniforms than the other team. i mean really it's that 100 percent. have you ever participated in that college football playoff no and, Not, I, and i'll tell you why i didn't do it oh you should no, do it it's a joke you'll laugh your ass off i did it one yeah, time well, it's I, the dumbest thing yeah, you've ever I, seen I, I said that this was, and I told Bill Hancock this, I said, 
I'm not going to participate in something where you're trying to coerce me into believing that this is really hieroglyphics when I know it's not. <laughs> what did he say? I mean, he, well, you know, Bill's a great guy. Yeah, he just yeah, got right. all the apps. Oh, Tim, you know, yeah. but, but that's really what it was. And I, I'll never get over it. There's so many young people in the media were just frothing at the mouth over getting invited. Yeah, like, 100%. hey, look at me. I'm at this thing. And yes, this is really hard. And I'm like, Oh my God, the propaganda machine is working overtime. But uh, I, I, I really did uh, learn to, in the aftermath of it all, come to uh, an understanding that I was maybe a little bit overzealous in my criticism of the BCS, especially given, you know, the authorship coming from Tony, who I knew cared, and Roy, who I knew cared. I mean, Roy was a visionary. What he did in 1992 bringing in um, two teams that you wouldn't think were uh, heavy hitters. You know, he brought in Arkansas and South Carolina. Right. But in doing so, he separated two divisions and actually did have a playoff yep. to determine a champion. And uh, I remember Stallings and Spurrier, every coach in that league resisted it, didn't want it, and went public about it. And Roy was like, I'm telling you, this is going to be good for football. And it was. It got a huge rating. And by the time it got into its fifth or sixth year, the team that won that game was dominating national championships. And um, and I think he made the, the leagues, you know, the SEC became um, a, a, a more valuable as a result of that game. And he also created a new revenue stream by having that game. Uh, you, you, he incorporated that game as another thing that networks had to bid for. Uh, didn't include it in the regular season contract. That's how uh, CBS, when they re-upped, when they first got the CBS, uh, the, the SEC deal, it was just for the regular season. They didn't have the title game. If you go back, you can watch Keith Jackson and Bob Greasy are calling the Auburn-Tennessee game when Peyton Manning was was in it. Uh, and we had the, the regular season contract. So when we re-upped uh, in the late 90s to go into the 2000s, we had to bid for that too. And we did. And he incorporated it into uh, the contract. So uh, it was smart. It was just, like I said, a, uh, for an old football coach, which is what Roy was, he, he truly had a vision for what he wanted to do. Um, and then later I found out after I left CBS and went to Fox, to make a long story short, or, or at least try to condense this, uh, when, when I asked the people at Fox after they hired me, I said, uh, I know you've vetted me, so if there's anybody here I need to, to thank that I don't know about. I think I know a few people uh, that are already here that, that were vouching for me. Who, who might that be? And uh, uh, the, the, the executives at Fox said, well, you, you should thank Tony Petiti. And, uh, and Tony had just left uh, MLB. He was just leaving as a deputy commissioner to Manfra and was starting his own company out west. And I gave, I gave him a call and I was like, gosh, Tony, I had no idea <laughs> that, uh, and he was so kind. And he said, Hey, Tim, I, I, you know, we, we may have disagreed on a few things, but one thing I definitely knew about you is your love of college football. And so if Fox wanted to improve its portfolio of college football, you certainly should be a part of that. So, you know, you learn things in time about, uh, why, um, uh, I guess, I guess the point here, Mac, would be every day's an audition, even if you're disagreeing with somebody, 
every day still an audition and and you can disagree but still have great passion and respect from those that you disagree with it's a great line uh you when you looked at the evolution of college football and this is my theory and i want to see what you think about it so you've been around it for 60 years and in my contention college football more than maybe basketball or some other sports it's already had it already has an a line to it that you have mm. about four to five powers and they're usually pretty much the same names and then you mm. might have eight to ten other ones that sort of alternate over the years at taking mm. a run at that top five you know you had Washington do it. You've had Oregon do it. You had TCU make a little bit of a run at it. Um, Mm -hmm. Some other teams here and there. But by and large, it's pretty much the same. And any economic structure that they put in is not really going to change that. That in the end, Iowa State versus, I don't know, Oklahoma State on a Thursday night really isn't that much different than Kentucky versus SEC or Kentucky versus Missouri on SEC Saturday. That those are kind of the same. And the big ones, Michigan versus Ohio State, UCLA, or pardon me, USC versus Notre Dame, Alabama, Auburn. Those are still going to be the monsters regardless. Agree or disagree? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's absolutely true. I think the biggest difference now, though, is uh, the need for the viewer is so much greater now for live sports television than, than we ever thought it might be. And, um, and for years, college football was missing out on its own value. And that's why I, I have stated and, and, and really believe that these moves that are being made, that everybody believes, you know, you go on social media and you'll say, well, you know, this is about, uh, this is about ESPN and Fox. They're the ones driving this. And yeah, to, to a point we are, there's no question about that. Uh, because the, it's much more of a television enterprise now than it was before. Fans may dislike hearing this, especially those that are constantly spending whatever they spend on season tickets or PCLs uh, or whatever they buy to, to, to see their teams play. But fewer people now are going to games and more people are watching it on that 65-inch flat screen that they've got at home, particularly post-COVID. It's, that's the case. So these schools are not as, as reliant on the turnstiles as they were years ago. Um, it, it matters to them. Yes. And they want to see a full house. Absolutely. But you're not going to have that today all the time, particularly with what it's taking to, to live, you know, just to have a a nice meal. If you want to go out on a date night, you know, once a week, getting to a football game now, uh, and spending what you might have to spend, uh, is such that you're like, I think I might stay home. Uh, so the need for, live sports television for these schools is is greater now than it ever has been and viewership is up it continues to go up but at the same time the schools aren't aren't getting the the kind of value i'll give you the example the sec is about to get out of its i mean they they did this deal two years ago deal was done two years ago people uh but but they're gonna get their schools are gonna get in excess of 70 million annually uh, in beginning in 2025, okay, the 25 season. So they've got 23, 22 and 23, and then 24, they finish up. And then, uh, that particular season, the last year, uh, I think is the 24 season, uh, that game on CBS that I was part of in the studio all those years will move over to ESPN. 
Well, that contract is worth over $300 million. ESPN paid over $300 million for that. CBS was paying $55 million and still is paying $55 million, and they're not going to give that up until the contract is over. You know, I think a lot of people thought that they would just maybe uh, sell the rest of it to, uh, to ESPN. Well, they, they want market value. Right. So they would charge them that if they wanted to. They, you want, Pay us $300 million, you know, for the two years, and, and we'll gladly give it to you. But um, think about that jump. That's a huge jump. For, for SEC schools. Well, now the Big Ten is going to get, and it's still in the midst of its contract negotiations, and it's about to get uh, over a billion dollars with a B with schools, all of them making annually in excess of 100 million. All of them. That's incredible. It's incredible because I can't imagine of, all of those schools of, are worth it. Like when I look yeah, at Rutgers yeah, or Purdue absolutely. or any of them. And people are saying, oh my God, that's just, well, that money was there all those years, Mac. It was there all those years, but they did not, uh, the schools did not understand it. They didn't, they didn't have people in charge that knew what their market value was. Well, now they do. Now they're, you see the new people that are coming into the business. Now your Mark was just hired at uh, the big 12. The man can't, he's coming from working in entertainment and in uh, the NBA and at NASCAR. He understands TV. He's been dealing with these people. Uh, Klyavkov came from gaming you know, out in the Pac-12. Now, he's got a lot of work to do, and he's trying, and clearly going to have to catch up. But um, that's where these guys are coming from. You know, coming up in the, the, the rudimentary way through athletic departments and then being a deputy commissioner and all, to, to work your way up through NCAA enforcement, as Greg Sankey did, that, that's, that's going the way of the dinosaur. Greg's an outstanding commissioner. He's probably the leader in the clubhouse these days with Jim Delaney gone at the big 10, but still uh, the, the job of being a a conference commissioner and even athletic director has changed through the years. There's no doubt about it. And they are now just beginning to tap into the marketplace to get what they're worthy of. College football is the second most popular sport in America, but it's not treated that way or hasn't been treated that way. I think all uh, of the ratings me. say you're right. And you're right. It's not because you said something one time it was during a national championship game. And I remembered it resonated with me that it is, it is traditionally sort of a Midwest or Southeastern sport. There's just not as much interest in the Northeast. And now clearly the United States or the sport in my mind has a problem out West where it does seem to be right. a dividing line, anything West of Norman and the interest level drops off a cliff even yeah. though you've got big-time boosters and big schools at Oregon with Phil Knight, Washington speaks for itself. USC obviously now has is, is decided to jump time zones. Is there really any way, though, Tim, to fix that problem in terms of the interest level out West in, in attending these sporting events? Well, I, I think for, you know, people haven't really thought about this, but I think it's true. Um, First off, the Big 12 didn't disintegrate when Texas and Oklahoma left, did they? No, uh, no. I, they, I'm they with not. you. I think for the record, I'm I'm with you, Tim. I think a lot of this panic stuff is BS, and it's just yeah, it is. Dramatic it is, stuff. and it's a way, it's a way to uh, throw mud on <laughs> college sports. We have a tremendous number of people in media that just love to use intercollegiate athletics as its personal whipping boy. And that's because they're in major media markets and they really don't care about the college game. 
These are professional. These are, you know, you know who they are. Yeah. You know, big city, whether it's Chicago, New York, LA, you name it. Pro okay? towns, pro towns. These are the people that can't stop talking about uh, Kyrie Irving until August. Okay. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about. No, and here's they the problem. Really like, don't care I, about college athletics. I so love college sports. Dirt on it. No, I and love college sports, they, Tim, but you can you can be critical of sometime the latent hypocrisy. And I love, I'm a college sports junkie. College sports gave me a start in terms right. of my career, but I see sometimes these things and I'm like, holy cow, this is outrageous. It doesn't mean <laughs> I love it any less, but I still yeah. see it sometimes. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I know, you know, the leadership guys, they will behind closed doors acknowledge it, but yeah, well, I, 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 listen, I fought some of those battles years ago. Okay. Uh, I was in some of those meetings in Bristol, Connecticut you know, way back in the day when they only had a, you know, they only owned like a block, not the entire, <laughs> not the state. <laughs> and the, yeah. And, uh, and I would be in these meetings in the morning and I would say, Hey guys, you know, uh, I realize Boston and New York are playing again, but, uh, the jazz have already won 52 games and there's still like another week left. We, we're going to talk about Mark Eaton at all. You know, <laughs> Does this, do you think this, this still come uh, back to happens. this stuff happens? you know, all the time. And it, it's the same concept as, as what we're talking about here with, with college athletics and just looking down your nose at it. And part of the reason is columnists, uh, and now talking heads, you got to include them. Okay. Sure. Uh, the so-called embrace debaters that are out there on, you know, dominating cable television every morning and midday, uh, th this, this notion that we can just, just pile on, is all because there's no one that's a direct commissioner that can deny you any access. There's no czar for college football. And, but, but God forbid you ever piss off Roger Goodell. <laughs> okay? don't, don't do that. And for God's sakes, don't, don't, uh, uh, don't piss off Adam silver. Right. Okay. So, so let's go after the you know college athletics. That's, that's been going on for years, absolutely going on for years, but, my view of this now is changing because, and I'm, and I'm saying that USC and UCLA going to the big 10 is great for college football because these are now rivalry games that are going to bring time zones together within a conference. I think that's beautiful. That makes the sport far more national fans want their games to be regional. I get that people, most people that are upset about all these things that are going on, are my age and older. And I'm like telling them, Hey, it was screwed up before we need this. Okay. We need to make, we need to make the postseason better. And they're like, yeah, but you're screwing with the regular season. I'm like the biggest myth in the history of college football is that it had the greatest regular season. Do I need to tell you how many blowouts, oh, I've all time. how many scores and highlights of games that were over after the second series? I've done, Tons. Uh, you know, when Alabama is playing Western Carolina in mid November, do you think that's good for the game? Yeah. Uh, so this, this myth about we have to protect the sanctity of the regular season of college football is just hogwash. <laughs> and, and it has been for eons. So yeah, this is all good in my opinion. Yes, because we're going to get the money that we need uh, for college football and it needs it desperately. Because NIL is not going to go away, and I fully expect that um, by the uh, end of this year, the end of this calendar year, uh, 
the, the people that are in governance of college football. And I still believe that the Pac-12 will be in play and the Big 12 will be. I don't think those leagues are going to disintegrate. They're going to be asking for help from Congress. And I think that you can go to Capitol Hill uh, before the end of the year and get their attention if one party has control of both the House and the Senate. Wow. So what kind of help to are you help, thinking you're going to get? To help streamline, to help streamline what's, what's running amok right now with NIL, this unrestricted free agency with no salary cap is bad. Yes. But we, the, the genie's out of the bottle. You're not going to put it in, nope. but you can settle down the waters, you know, get rid of these tidal waves that we've got going on with, you know, players basically, you know, uh, saying, well, I'm going to go over here. If you, if I get this much money, you, we need to get rid of those stories. NIL by and large is doing well. It is. You just don't hear about it. You hear about the, the kid in Miami, or you hear about the kid at Pitt going to, SC and, uh, you know, hanging on for more cash. Those, those stories are, they're big. Yes. And I'm glad they got reported, but that's not really what NIL is all about. I think that uh, in many ways it's doing a very good job, uh, especially for uh, the uh, so-called um, non-revenue producing sports and for uh, athletes that are, competing at the Olympic sports level. It is. So you don't think and they don't care about it. So therefore they don't know about what's going on. That's good. I, but I do think the players, especially today's college athletes playing football, uh, want their piece of the pie. And with all this money coming in, Mac, we're talking about a billion to one conference and almost a billion to another revenue share is going to come up. And I do think that through revenue sharing, uh, all of the players can get uh, a necessary piece of the pie in college football and separation from the NCAA will be complete in college football once this is over. And it needs to be. We don't need soccer coaches and Division three coaches determining rules of play in Division one college football. That's been going on for years. How the NCAA managed to do that after losing control monetarily of the game through the Supreme Court, you know, o- almost 40 years ago is is crazy to me so we're getting closer to the separation of college football and with that hopefully these leaders these commissioners all of whom i respect i think they're well-intentioned want to do the right thing once they can get their circumstances taken care of their new tv deals intact hopefully they can work towards the common goal of uh the, the construct of college football being totally separate of the ncaa and do what's right for those athletes and build the sport, make it better. Uh, I, I, I don't think that just because players are getting more than tuition, suddenly it's corrupt and uh, it's the wild, wild west. And blah, blah, blah. that's been going on for years. Now we just know about it and we can work through it. And those players deserve their piece of the pie for what they've been doing all these years. Tim, I want to ask a couple more things to let you go. Yep. I need you to put on your, Oh, I don't know. Look, you shake your magic eight ball and then look into the future for me. So in 2030, so by that time, the television contracts with the Pac-12, however it looks, and the Big 12, however it looks, Mm -hmm. uh, we're coming up, they'll have been renegotiated and something will be set. Will Mm -hmm. all of the schools uh, and teams that are currently associated with the Power Five still be power five schools in 2030 and part of the college football playoff. 
Well, the schools will be involved at a power level competing in this particular level, whether it's five conferences or four. Okay. Okay. We may not have five. We may have four. There's so much that we don't know that could still happen. You know, at the time of this taping, everyone's in a holding pattern waiting on Notre Dame to make up its mind. Uh, once Notre Dame does, I think you'll, you'll probably see a few dominoes fall. They won't be the, you know, the earth trimmer uh, dominoes that, that the USC, UCLA, or, or Texas OU dominoes were, but, but, but they will fall, and you'll see some movement. Um, and by that time, whether it's uh, uh, five leagues or four, I, th- I tend to think it could be five uh, based on what I've been hearing, but the potential of it being four uh, exists. I think the ACC is actually more vulnerable than uh, the Pac-12 right, right now some measure because they're making the least amount of money oh. in television. I mean, I mean, Clemson's got to be thinking, my God, we're making how much in TV and Vanderbilt makes how much in TV, you know, that's got to be bizarre for them. Uh, so I think we could see some movement where we're, we, we don't have necessarily five leagues could be four, but the, the construct would still have those 65 schools uh, still in play and they would be fine. Uh, I don't think that uh, the so-called group of five is going to go away, nor do I think that uh, schools like um, what's left of the American with Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston College still don't have a chance. I I still think a team from that league or out of the Sun Belt, uh, a a team as good as the Raging Cajuns were uh, the last couple of years, still couldn't emerge and go undefeated and find a way in. And frankly, with 12 teams getting in, and that, my friend, is going to happen. When the new contracts are done and we start uh, a new CFP contract, which goes into play in 2026, you're going to see at least 12 teams. 12 teams. That will happen. And you'll see more than one network uh, covering the CFP. That will happen. Uh, And through that, I think you'll see more revenue being generated because of the inventory that that will bring. And instead of having a month off between the end of the regular season and the uh, national championship game being played, we'll see a continuation of games and the country involved in those playoff games for three weeks in the month of December that pumps everybody up to help build to a crescendo the interest in the championship game. And if it happens to be the same four or five teams, Mac, that's fine. If it's still Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Georgia, some other form of SEC team like LSU, so be it, okay? But having teams from outside that prism with an opportunity to get in as a 12 seed or an 11 seed or a 10 seed, that'll be like winning a national championship yeah, you're right. to a lot of those schools. It's like what Cincinnati it's did this year. Watch and people will gravitate towards it uh, in a way that, that maybe most fans haven't even thought about, okay? Because America wants to see uh, the way championships are done in our country is through elimination. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that means playoff. And that means driving interest on a weekly basis. College football has screwed up its entire calendar <laughs> with its postseason and forfeited that calendar and a lot of money to the National Football League, who continues to add playoff games yearly. And it's just been a disgrace to see what 
college football has done to itself. Now they've looked in the mirror. They've seen the problem. It's themselves and they've fixed it. I, this is a way, trust me when I tell you, this is a, a way of fixing the problems of college football. Tim, thank you so much for today. I really do appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet, Matt. Okay, Happy take to- care of yourself. You bet. Bye-bye. Bye. Talking to Tim Brando reminds me of how fortunate I've been over the years because I have collected a lot of anecdotes and life experiences around college football and college sports. I wish I had written them down, but there is one that I really love to share. So it's New Year's Day, it's 2004, and I am in Los Angeles covering the Rose Bowl between Michigan and USC. And I have been tasked to talk to this man. And good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Keith Jackson. I'll be calling the play in today's ball game from Ohio Stadium in Columbus. Joe Paterno, the head coach at Penn State University. Legendary broadcaster Keith Jackson was calling that Rose Bowl. And that morning when I'm at the Rose Bowl, I asked somebody where I could find him. They told me, you can go catch him coming off the elevator when he comes in. That's 2024. He's Keith Jackson. He's in his mid-70s. And that's the guy I grew up watching call so many games as a kid. College football, NFL, Major League Baseball, college basketball. Keith called a lot of games before he became just the face and voice of college football. And needless to say, I'm pretty nervous as I look down from the fifth floor at the Rose Bowl press box and I can see there on the ground level, there's Keith Jackson. And I'm, I almost have a moment where I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to go do it because he's Keith Jackson. So I wait, and I figure, no, I'll do it. So the elevator o- door opens up, and there's Keith Jackson. And he's, he's headed towards me, and I walk in front of him, and I, I introduce myself. And I said, do you mind if I talk to you for a couple minutes? I'm working on this thing. And he says something that I, I don't quite know what he said, but it was, I thought he said, come on, give me a minute. And he was nice about it, but I'm confused. So I stop. He takes four or five more steps. He stops, pauses, looks back at me, and he says, come on. And he motions me for me to follow him. So I walk right behind Keith Jackson. He's walking down the hall. I'm at the Rose Bowl. I have no idea where I am in this building. He turns left, and we walk into the broadcast booth for ABC's coverage of the 2004 Rose Bowl. He introduces me to his broadcast partner, former NFL quarterback Dan Fouts. And Keith says to me, what can I help you with? And it's me standing between Dan Fouts and Keith Jackson the morning of the Rose Bowl in 2004, overlooking the San Gabriel Mountains. And I'm in a moment of disbelief. I'm like, wow, I can't believe I'm standing here. And we talk for a few minutes, maybe five And he couldn't have been any more gracious. He's such a nice man. And normally in these interviews, you ask a few questions, you thank the person for their time, and you leave. Almost never does the person, certainly of that stature, really engage you. It's more like, ask me your questions, I'll be a pro, and we can go about doing our jobs. I thank him for his time, and he says to me, Keith Jackson says to me, he says, so how's how's everybody down in Fort Worth? I can't can't do that accent, I just, I'm not even going to try. This never happens. It never happens. The person you're talking to on that level never really engages me. Just blank newspaper journalist guy. Keith Jackson did. 
So we talked for a few minutes about Fort Worth, and he tells me a story about the late Ben Hogan, the PGA Tour golf legend whom he knew personally. And, and in another minute or so, I thanked him again, and I told him what a great admirer of his I had been for so long. He shakes my hand, and with great sincerity, he looks me in the eye and he says, thanks, Mark. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Vince Young scores. 